InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Natural disasters, terrorism, and other unexpected crises can make regular communications impossible. But there's a last resort that saves lives, and it's been around for over half a century. InfoTrack's Roy Mackey has the story. Roy? Thanks, Chris. In the aftermath of major disasters such as 9-11 or Hurricane Katrina, Americans like to volunteer and help in many ways. There is a group of volunteers who have been supporting victims of all sorts of disasters throughout the world, particularly here in the U.S., but all over the world, and that is amateur radio operators, HAMS. We're joined by Alan Pitts. He's the media and PR manager from the American Radio Relay League, which is the National Association for Amateur Radio in the U.S. Alan, welcome to InfoTrack. Well, thank you very much for having us. First, let's talk about what ham radio operators do in emergencies. There are many functions that they serve. First of all, in a situation such as a hurricane or some approaching weather, maybe tornado activity, there are some reporting activities that hams do. Uh, There are actually two different types of activities in forecasting for severe weather. The primary one, which most of your listeners are probably would be familiar with, is what is called Skywarn. Skywarn is a network which is primarily made up of amateur radio operators or hams, and they are reporting ground-level observations into the National Weather Service. Many times your Doppler radars and all, because they follow the curvature of the Earth, they have a real hard time seeing what's actually on the ground at that particular point, and the hams provide that type of a service. The second service which the hams provide is the National Hurricane Center nets, and this is also providing weather observations, barometric pressure observations, rainfall, wind direction, speed, into the National Hurricane Center. Now, after a disaster, the emergency communications that ham radio operators provide, in my view, are even more critical because when cellular towers are down, when the Internet is down, when standard telephone service is down, in most cases, ham radio operators can step in and help. Well, that's exactly the situation that happened with Katrina. The normal means of communication completely devastated. In many cases, even if they still are in existence, they are completely overwhelmed. Amateur radio steps in and provides communication to emergency services. The hams don't self-activate. We provide the communication for such groups as FEMA, the American Red Cross, the Salvation Army, various volunteer groups active in disaster, VOAD groups, and the Department of Homeland Security through the Citizens Corps. There are many different organizations that it's the hams that provide the communication because ham radio works when other systems don't. We're talking with Alan Pitts from the Amateur Radio Relay League, which is the national association for amateur radio in the U.S., and talking about how amateur radio is a very important tool for emergency situations throughout the United States. And I understand that ham radio volunteers aren't just there for a few days. In many cases, such as with the aftermath of 9-11 and the whole Ground Zero area in Manhattan, hams actually stayed on the job for months. Well, you got to remember why we call this amateur radio. Amateur comes from the Latin means for the love of radio. People are doing this literally for the love of helping other people. These are totally unpaid volunteers. And yes, 
because of their commitment to community service to their country, they will come on in for days, weeks, and sometimes in the case of 9-11, I can even think of a few of my friends who were there for over a month providing the communication that was needed by these emergency organizations when other things just simply did not work. Again, ham radio was the one radio service because of the way that we don't need the infrastructure, we don't need the cell towers, we don't need the huge switchboards. We are organized, but we're not dependent on an infrastructure. Each ham radio operator can work independently. Because of that, they were needed for a long time. Alan, can you give us just some broad strokes of what ham radio operators can do as a hobby? There are many different forms of communication, many different bands that they can transmit on and distances they can go. Just give us a quick thumbnail sketch. Well, one of the reasons why hams have as many frequencies as they do is because they have this multiplicity of capabilities. We have our own satellites. Ham radio is also the only thing other than NASA and the military that can talk directly to the ISS, the International Space Station. We do everything from bounce signals off the moon to talk on local repeaters across town. We are set up local nets, regional nets, international nets, Using different frequencies, we are able to get a radio signal to go pretty much where we want it to. And that's part of the art of amateur radio, is not just building and putting together the different pieces and parts and modalities of equipment, but also learning and finding which frequencies will do what when. And it's a whole lot of fun. And then when an emergency comes, those very same skills that I use to talk to Japan or Spain or England or wherever, it's the same skills turned into an emergency service. So it's a lot of fun, but it has a very serious side also. How many ham operators are there in the U.S. today? Approximately 675,000 ham operators in the United States. Many of them are part of the Amateur Radio Emergency Service, or ARIES group, which are the hams that specifically are trained and provide emergency services. If someone was interested in becoming a ham radio operator, what exactly do they need to do to get through? There is an FCC licensing process. Well, the nice part about that is the FCC has completely dropped the Morse code requirement, which used to be a major block for many people entering amateur radio, that you had to learn Morse code. That's not needed at all anymore. There is a 35-question multiple-choice exam, which is given. Most local amateur radio clubs have classes where a person can go one, two, or three weekends and learn that which they need to get their first entry-level license. This is a federal license, which will allow them to get their feet wet, get onto local and regional-level frequencies, and become part of the amateur radio community. And as you learn more and you upgrade your license, you get more and more frequency privileges, which allow you to do more and more. It's a whole lifelong learning skill. And even those like myself who happen to have the highest class license, we're still learning other things. There's always something new to do, something to try, and it's a whole lot of fun. If your listeners are looking for, okay, where do I get a class or how do I find a local club, the website is arrl.org forward slash and you can put one of two things you can either write new ham n-e-w-h-a-m one word or if you're looking for a local club it's forward slash find a club find a club scrunch it all together as one word 
either New Ham or Find a Club. The New Ham will give you basic information about how to become an amateur radio operator yourself, and the Find a Club area will take you to a database where you can enter your address or your zip code, and it will tell you about the clubs that are in your local area. Alan Pitts, the Media and Public Relations Manager for the American Radio Relay League, the National Association for Amateur Radio in the U.S. Thank you for joining us on InfoTrack. Well, thank you very much for having us. We appreciate it. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. Next, sudden climate change. What could it mean for you? The surprising story, coming up. You're listening to InfoTrack. More after this.